Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's podcast, Canadians want answers to the wee scandal, not an election. Will the Prime Minister listen to Canadians? At yesterday's UN Security Council meeting, uh, Michael Kovrig was brought up by his colleagues appealing to China for his release. Are they listening? It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Hi, I'm Alicia Thompson, Scott's daughter. My brother and dad forgot to record their intro today. Once again, I'm picking up the slack for my brother. Good thing he's not getting paid for this. It's a Scott Thompson home show. Here's Scott Thompson. And with that, she's back to bed. Hey, guys. We've uh, tangled up my headphones and her. Our, te- our headphones are all tangled here. Excuse me for a sec while we <sighs> didn't really rehearse this one. Kind of on the fly, if you know what I mean. Good afternoon. It is 1211. It's 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Will come back at the state. Hang on a sec. Can you wait just one second? I'm sorry. Hang on. Will, just play some piano music while I close the doors. Hang on. Hang on. All right. You know, you wake her up and you say, can you do an intro for me, please? Your brother's, um, you know. All right. Good afternoon. It's 1211. It's 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Will Erskine back at the station keeping the Scott Thompson home show uh, on the air. He's doing his part. I think we're faltering a little at my end. Uh, another great show coming up. Lots of stuff going on. Oh, my goodness. And uh, feel free to uh, get involved in the discussion. Facebook and Twitter, you'll find the commentary there. You'll also find it on the website. Send us a note there. Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. And the phone lines are always open. The big Big news is uh, the opposition trying to get committees reformed and ask questions in regard to the Wee scandal uh, and the ongoing, uh, I guess, unanswered questions there. And an anti-corruption committee vote coming today, which could lead to a potential election. It's unbelievable what we're seeing going down. Let's bring in Mike LaCourteur, uh, Le Global News Parliamentary Correspondent in Ottawa. He is with us now. Mike, thank you for the time. What's the buzz like there now? Yeah, I I was going to say that I, I feel like we need to address what's going on in your house rather than the House of Commons first. It sounds like there's more animosity there or similar. Yeah, I mean, you know what it's like, Mike. Uh, I mean, yeah. your daughter's throwing your son under the bus. That is. That's almost worse than opposition parties saying that uh, if we go into an election, it's all Justin Trudeau's fault. But I mean, it's similar but different, right? <laughs> You know, that's why you're the astute reporter that you are. You're picking up on everything, whether it's the host Man, or the topic. It's, just, it's yeah, so, I, I, I feel for you, but I mean, uh, kudos to your daughter for stepping up. And you know, and yes. the question today, I think, in Ottawa is who's going to step up and and possibly uh, avoid you know bringing us back from the brink here. Um, it's one of those things where I, I think the the sense in Ottawa, even a few weeks ago, was that ah, maybe we might be closed, especially with prorogation um, and and what might happen there. Was a lot of talk of it. It's certainly hit a fever pitch in the last 24 hours, whether or not reporters need to start packing bags, whether or not political parties are, you know, branding buses and seeing whether or not we have to prepare planes. I'm trying to think of some other kind of alliteration that I can throw at you, but I'm at a loss. If your daughter has one, I will take any kind of suggestion at this point. But look, this is what we're setting up for. Uh, caucuses were meeting today, some virtually, some in person. Um, Jugmeet Singh seems to hold some of the balance of power here because he's been a lifeline for this prime minister in the past where he has essentially helped bail them out when it comes to a confidence motion. Uh, the, the government seemingly spoiling for an election here uh, by making this a confidence motion. And if people haven't been paying attention to it, let me try and bring you up to speed. Opposition parties want to make this new committee on government spending, especially uh, connected to the WE charity, uh, and they've attached this sort of you know, anti-corruption committee is what they're calling it, because they want to see what pandemic spending um, or pandemic-related spending has possibly been funneled to what they call liberal friends, because we saw that, uh, you know, in essence, with the Kielbergers. And so this whole thing... Um, that the Liberals are trying to block and they don't want to go down that route, they have said, look, 
they are worried that the conservatives are playing politics with all of this when we're trying to get money out the door, in their words, for Canadians. Um, so the conservatives put a little water in their wine by saying, fine, we'll remove the name anti-corruption on here, but we still want certain things, such as um, making sure that an opposition member is the chair of this committee, virtually uh, trying to remove some of the, the power of the government in this as the chair of the committee. Um, Trudeau basically said, fine, you know, as prime minister, I'm going to make this a, a, a motion uh, of non-confidence. And if you uh, say that, you know, I uh, you, you have this little confidence in the government to manage this pandemic, then let's put your money where your mouth is. Let's ask Canadians and go to the polls. High risk uh, move. And, uh, you know, clearly everybody today, uh, it's like that meme, if, if people know it, you know, where there's all those Spider-Mans in a standoff. Mm. Um, it seems like that's where everybody is right now saying, no, no, it's this guy's fault. No, it's that guy's fault. Um, and that's where everybody is tossing the blame, right? Saying that, look, this isn't what we're trying to do. We don't want to go into an election. Um, we want to help Canadians. That's what everybody is saying but nobody is willing to sort of come down from uh, from the cliff at this point. So how will it look? Well, you know, it's about 3.15 or 3.30 today, we're expecting this these votes. There's two votes. One of them will be to amend the name of the committee. That shouldn't uh, go off without a hitch. It's the one where it's the, not, it's the confidence motion. So everybody is looking to see where Jagmeet Singh and the NDP will rest on this one. Will they decide, yes, we're going to side with the government? Uh, what will they get in exchange for it? Because they've been doing a lot of negotiations with the government in the past, trying to keep them going and uh, keep the help going to Canadians. Jagmeet Singh has said he doesn't want an election. Uh, both the Bloc and Conservatives say they're going to vote together in this. If you do the math, um, here's one of the possible scenarios. Bloc and Conservatives vote together. Um, then the Liberals vote all against it. That numbers, those numbers are basically a tie. If the NDP abstain, um, which they said they may, then it's down to the three Greens and two Independents. Now, interestingly enough, Anime Paul, who doesn't have uh, a seat in the House of Commons, the newly elected leader of the Greens, has basically uh, been wagging her finger at all parties from the sidelines, saying, you know, now's not the time for us to weaken this cross-partisan cooperation when people still have the most urgent needs in the middle of this pandemic. Uh, and I'll read from her quote. She said, they should leave such games outside Parliament and focus on the urgent needs of people of Canada. I ask members of Parliament to dial down the rhetoric, which is not keeping in keeping with the seriousness of this unprecedented moment so that we can get back to working on critical matters at hand. Uh, she actually called it a high-tech game of chicken with no winner. Um, so that might show the hand of the Greens in terms of saying, you know, let's get back to work and maybe vote with the government. Uh, but this is all leading to, you know, three and a half, about three, three and a half hours from now as to whether or not we know uh, if we're heading to the polls. So uh, obviously, as you mentioned, Mike, the Canadians don't want an election. The the opposition parties have said that they don't want an election. Is there any way we can get, you know, what this is all about is, is people want answers to the we scandal, which I think Canadians want as well. So it, it, how come we can't get answers to the we scandal uh, questions uh, without an election? Is there any way to get the answers and, and what the committee needs without throwing us or threatening to throw us into an election? Why can't we get answers without an election. Well, I mean, simply put, the government seemingly wants to limit uh, the answers that are let out. They said from the beginning of this that you know there is no issue. They'll you know throw open the doors. They've you know tried to disclose a whole bunch of things, uh, but clearly this has not been enough for the opposition parties. You know, when you look at the two sides, essentially the government looks at it and says, look, you're just trying to drag this out and continually make us look bad. Um, and the opposition says, well, kind of, but this smells. So we want to get to the root of this and so the Canadians know everything about it. Um, whether or not, uh, you know, the government will fall over this we charity and what that perception will be in the public is, is a whole other thing. Clearly, this government must be looking at some sort of polls that believe it, it, it can win. Consider past precedents of pandemic elections. You have Blaine Higgs, who had a minority government out in New Brunswick, um, and he decided, well, yeah, I'm going to, you know, uh, I, I want to sort of 
govern as I want to and tested the opposition. The opposition said, look, game on, let's go for this. And then he got a majority. John Horgan is doing it uh, similarly in, in B.C. Um, we, we don't know yet wh- how that will, uh, uh, will pan out because he was, in, he was governing, but at the same time did not have uh, a majority. I mean, he, he had his majority with the help of the Greens. Um, but now is it Trudeau saying, I want to do this? Uh, consider this, though, for a second, Scott, the logistics of all of this. Um, I was on the campaign last year, and this meant cross-Canada trips, uh, you know, hopping time zones. What about getting into the Atlantic bubble? Mm. Think about that for a second. It, there's a 14-day quarantine that is supposed to be for every man, woman, and child who goes into the Atlantic bubble. This certainly has to apply to political leaders so and reporters on the plane or covering it. How do you even do a cross-Canada, cross-country election campaign um, during a pandemic? I'm not even sure what, how this is possible. Wow. Uh, it's amazing how things have changed. Sooner or later, will Canadians find out answers to uh, the questions around the We Charity? I mean, that's one of the big questions as to whether or not the scope of this committee, uh, you know, after, let's say, for instance, after today, we figure out, okay, we're not going to the polls and this committee is struck. You know, what parameters, what roadblocks could the government put in the way of getting, you know, down to the real issue of the We Charity? We've seen a lot of the disclosure come out this week. The Kielbergers and the We Charity, uh, you know, put out a lot of information uh, with regards to um, the money that was paid out to the Trudeau family and that sort of thing. You know, it, it, it's sort of one of those things, where when will the opposition think it's enough? Um, and how much does the government think is enough? Clearly, they believe right now enough is out there, and they want no more, or no part of this. You know, proof is that in the middle of, uh, of the summer, when the We Charity scandal was at a fever pitch, and, you know, the government comes in and says, you know what, that's it, we're uh, proroguing Parliament under the guise of, you know, none of what we were doing at the outset of this Parliament is really the focus now. We need to hit the reset button, but essentially what it did was it destroyed all the committees, or I shouldn't say destroyed, it wipes out all the committees, and they have to reformulate all these committees, stops all of their work in their tracks when you you do that prorogation and resetting of Parliament. Uh, So clearly... The opposition parties feel they've got something here that they continue to hold the government to account on, and they need it, and they want it. Uh, but as for your original question, when will we find out? Uh, I think we'll figure out once that, 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 um, that committee is actually restruck, or if that new committee is struck, uh, and then figure out how, uh, you know, what the focus of it will be and what the parameters on it will be, depending on how today's vote happens. Mike LaCouture has been with us, Global News Parliamentary Correspondent in Ottawa, talking about uh, what is happening today in regard to the confidence vote, which we should see sometime, hopefully, in the 3 o'clock hour. Mike, as always, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Be well. You too. Thanks for having me, and uh, kudos to your daughter for stepping up today. And tell your son that if he needs uh, some pointers on show openers, I'm willing to to have a little (laughs) conversation with him. I will certainly pass that along (laughs) to him, Mike. Thank you so much. Be well. You too. Bye-bye. Uh, let's play this uh, quick clip from Jugmeet Singh, what he said in regard to all of this. I'm not going to be a part of giving the prime minister an excuse. If he wants to run, if he wants to have an election, let's be clear. The question is, is there going to like, is there going to be an election or not? If there's an election, it's going to be because of prime minister Trudeau. It's not going to be because of me. All right, that is uh, leader of the NDP, Jagmeet Singh, talking about uh, what is going to happen this afternoon. You know that there is uh, lots of uh, high-powered meetings that are going on uh, in Ottawa right now. Uh, apparently, uh, all political parties saying they don't want an election, yet uh, here we are asking questions about a wee scandal, and somehow that has put us at the table for an election that nobody seems to want. Uh, it's fascinating. We'll wait to see uh, how this all unfolds. Let's bring in Alan Moscovich, Professor Emeritus Carleton University, and is with us now. Alan, thank you for the time. What are your thoughts here on what has transpired? Uh, well, there's uh, there's certainly been an, an escalation. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, the Conservatives originally proposed a uh, an anti-corruption committee. Uh, they also, I think it's important to, to know that they also proposed that the opposition have uh, more uh, seats on that committee than uh, than the uh, government, 
than the Liberals and the NDP also uh, proposed a, an alternative com- committee that would focus more on the uh, pandemic spending for review. Uh, then the Liberals proposed a committee that would have a smaller number of members, uh, equal numbers of the government and the opposition, and just focus on pandemic spending. It's clear that the Liberals want to get away from the We Charity scandal. They uh, prorogued Parliament with the idea that it would go away. And now you have a new Conservative leader who's wanting to uh, make that an important part of what he does. So he's uh, making it front and center. Um, the truth is that the uh, the opposition has asked for a whole lot of paper related to the We Charity, and uh, they didn't get it. They got some of it earlier this week. It's uh, they got it on Monday. Uh, not sure what the content of that is yet, um, but uh, the government's escalated because they said, well, uh, the conservatives are saying we're corrupt. Uh, if you think we're corrupt, then we're not fit to govern. So then let's make this uh, a vote on uh, confidence in the government. Uh, that was a pretty rapid escalation. And now the balance of power is held by the NDP because the Bloc Québécois have already said they're going to vote with the Conservatives. So the issue is what will the NDP do? They're meeting in caucus this morning. They're supposed to have a press conference at 1 o'clock. Uh, they've already said they think this is ridiculous and they want to try to find a path through it. That's what Jagmeet Singh said, the leader of the NDP. So uh, there's about two hours between 1 and 3 when they can try to work out some uh, compromise that falls short of it being a confidence motion. That's where we stand. Uh, it seems that this is being made a lot more complicated than it really is, uh, because at the end of the day, what's being presented to Canadians, uh, if you want answers to the questions, it's going to lead to an election. And, and again, as, as we mentioned, uh, all of the opposition wants answers to the we questions. Uh, mm-hmm. None of the opposition uh, wants an election. Can we not get answers to the we charity questions without being threatened with a pandemic election. It seems that that's the choice. Uh, you know, the opposition wants answers to questions around the We Charity scandal. The government doesn't want to give them, so we're going into an election. That, you know, and, and whatever way each party tries to complicate it, that seems to be what's presented to Canadians today. It's being presented, but there is another alternative, and that's the one that the NDP is working on. They hold the balance of power, so that's not unimportant. Um, if they vote with the government, the government stays. If they vote uh, with the opposition, uh, the government falls. Uh, even if they abstain, it's very likely that the uh, government would fall. So uh, they have a few hours to try to find some kind of compromise formula, and that's frankly, that's what I expect will happen, some kind of compromise formula. So um, what challenge does this uh, put forth for the NDP today? How, what balancing act do they have to, uh, to do today? Well, they want answers, too. So they don't want uh, the government to say to them, well, just support our pandemic committee. Uh, and neither do they want uh, an election. So what they're trying to do is find some kind of compromise where there is a committee. The committee represents the opposition and the government, and uh, the We Charity is part of the consideration uh, that this new committee uh, has. So those are the challenges. Um, I I think they're in a good position to put that into effect because they do hold the balance of power. Again, uh, to reiterate what you're saying here, uh, obviously with the position that the NDP is in, they could go ahead and side with the government and then keep asking the same questions that they want the answers to as well. Is that accurate? They could, yeah, they could. But I think they're going to want they're going to want a committee. They've already they had already asked for a committee, so they're going to want a committee, and they're going to want a committee that includes consideration of the We Charity scandal. They, they they don't want to back away from that. But 
maybe the compromise lies in the in the size of the committee uh, balancing the opposition with the government and uh, and the scope of the committee and the timeline for the committee. So those would be the issues that they'd have to negotiate on. So moving forward, what's your prediction? What do you, what do you think is going to happen here? Well, I think the uh, that the vote at 315 will be around um, a different, a slightly different committee uh, with a clear mandate, with a timeline, one that narrows things uh, down but uh, doesn't narrow it so far that we, the We Charity is off the table. So uh, no election, the committees continue. Uh, sorry, and your last line, We Charity scandal will or will not be on this? I think it'll still be on the agenda because that's what... Yeah, that's what the, the NDP, NDP wants. Want. Yeah, so no election and the committees continue. Who's the winner out of all of this, if that's how it ends up? Uh, you know, I, I hope we are. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, I, I hope we are because I still think that there's more to understand about what happened there. I know Trudeau testified and his assistant uh, testified at uh, at the Finance Committee hearings uh, earlier this year. But there's still more to understand how this decision actually came to be made. It was a, certainly an extremely poor decision, effectively to outsource what what would normally be a government program to uh, to a, a, what is nominally a nonprofit organization. Is it in the best interests of the Liberals to have an election as soon as possible? No, I, I don't think it's in there. Best interest. Although, I mean, the, the truth is that uh, the when you look at the polling around how the federal government's been dealing with the pandemic, um, they come out pretty high. Yeah, and uh, I don't. I honestly don't think it'll do the conservatives any good uh, to have an election at this time. And and um, certainly the way the uh, government will spin it is that the conservatives force them to have an election if that's what it comes down to. Well, interesting meetings uh, going on in Ottawa this afternoon, that's for sure. Alan yeah. uh, Moscovich has been with us, Professor Emeritus Carleton University. Alan, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Thank you. You too. Let's bring in Alyssa Freeman, PR guru. Alyssa Freeman, uh, Alyssa PR. Alyssa is with us now. <laughs> I'm going to say your name about five more times, Alyssa. How are you today? I love it. It's great. There you go. (laughs) So, yeah, there you go. Uh, Where do I start with this? Is there any way, uh, it seems that what's being presented to Canadians right now is if we keep pushing for questions about the We Charity scandal, we're going to an election. And I can't see how that sits well with anybody. Uh, Is there no way we can get answers to these questions without the threat of an election? Well, this is the biggest game of political chicken I've seen uh, in the last four or five years, or even maybe ever. And here's the thing. So if we dial back for one second, you know, the the Conservatives, they have a new leader, and they're trying to stay in the news cycle. So the only way to stay in the news cycle, especially, you know, in a, a minority government, is to, you know, push those issues that are pain points for the ruling party. And the we ch- and the we charity is a pain point. Why is it a pain, po- a pain point? Well, because it's easy for people to understand. You know, taking money or trying to leverage uh, family members with the charity, people get that. People get that. There's not. And this goes back a- to prorogation. The reason for it. Exactly. So the fact that people can still get it, and then the conservatives think, okay, what? You know, what What are our narratives that we have on the table here? So they lay the ball out on the table, they sit in the strategy session, and they think, okay, well, you know, we can talk about the long lines at waiting at the assessment centers to get a COVID test, and we can have our leader go stand in line purposely with his whole family for a number of hours and then leave and then secretly go to the assessment center that takes, you know, MP, federal MPs really quickly. How did that work? Well, not very well. People saw all through that ruse, including the media saw through that ruse and let the, you know, let, let their public know. So now let's move to the second strategy and it's the we charity. So the conservatives don't want to let this die. It's the only narrative right now. I think that they have on the table that gives them any air to keep going. However, what do Canadians really think about this? Do they care? 
are they more worried about COVID? Are they more worried about thinking about where their, you know, their next paycheck is coming from? So before the interview, I just went around and, you know, I sometimes work out of my husband's furniture showroom here and I talked to the employees and I said, we're all socially distanced, by the way. I said, so what does everybody think? They go, we don't care about this. You know what? Just put the money towards research and helping develop a vaccine. Uh, put the money into programs so that we can all get through COVID. I don't want a snap election. Does anybody want a snap election? And I'm saying that this is, you know, this is a very small sample with, you know, likely huge margin of error. But I really think that that's the way most Canadians feel. And people may not like this strategy. I know that the Globe and Mail came out with, in a, with an editorial today uh, totally against it. And they called it, you know, the liberal bizarro world in capitals. And so people may not like it, but I don't think the... You know, I don't think the liberals really care what the media has to say. I think that they may know something that people don't want to go back to the election. And they also know that Aaron O'Toole, you know, the the conservatives have to very quickly answer the question for Canadians, who is Aaron O'Toole? Most don't know the answer. Boy, if he started an election campaign, they'd certainly find out soon, though, wouldn't they? Yeah, well, they would and they wouldn't. Let me ask you this. Nobody wants an election, including the opposition. Everybody has said they don't want, uh, you know, don't want an election. Um, But that doesn't mean they don't want answers to the We Charity scandal, which we all know was the whole reason for prorogation. So those questions are still there. People still want answers to them. Everybody knows the the pandemic is top of mind for everybody. Uh, You know, the PM should have been working on that during a six weeks prorogation instead of a new vision for for Canada. But again, um, I agree that nobody wants the election. But at the end of the day, I still think they want the government to answer the questions on the We Charity. And, you know, as far as an election, the the Prime Minister is saying, you know, once again, speaking for others and their feelings, saying the Conservatives don't have confidence in us. We're going to, you know, so it's going to be an election. Well, that's not for you to say. That's for the Conservatives to say. And they've already said they don't want an election. They just want answers to the questions. So, like, the spin here is unbelievable. Uh, At the end of the day, can we not get answers to the questions without the threat of an election? And I, and I think really, that, yeah. and, and I think Canadians really do want answers to those questions. You know, I, when you look at best communication practices, you know, we always say, rip off the Band-Aid. Just say, okay, well, here's what happened, and uh, won't let this happen again. And, and again, the fact that the Liberals are going to this extent, what the heck is in this information? Well, you know, you, honestly, wouldn't you like to know? And wouldn't everybody like to know? So I think there's the, wouldn't everybody like to know? And... You know, how, what, what's the percentage of the population that really wants to know and accountability? And the other is like, move on, please. Because, you know, let's look at the history here. SNC-Lavalin, that dragged on and on and on. And the Liberal government never said sorry. The Liberal government never said, I, you know, we should have done this. Um, but that went away. Okay, then you have blackface. Well, you know, Justin Trudeau came out right away and said, I'm sorry, this was wrong. This is a transgression in my youth. Um, this is not who I am today, came out against that. So there's sort of been a litany of things that have happened all along the way. And I think that what the Liberals are doing is betting that they'll use the same strategy just to wear down the story, wear it down through the news cycle, and so that it ends up where all these stories end up, which is the dustbin. So at the end of the day, the Liberals will vote, or so the NDP will support the Liberals uh, at 3 o'clock this afternoon. There will be no election and the we committees continue. So who wins out of any of this exercise? Once well, I again, I think it's... Pardon me? I can tell you who loses. Okay. The Canadian public loses. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what my last guest said. Yeah, exactly, yeah. right? This is just a political chicken fight between two parties. And the other thing, too, is there's two other points I want to make. I think there's more than two involved in here, though, Alyssa. Well, I agree. I I mean, I think the liberals are always like, you know, it's all about the conservative. It's all about the conservatives. The conservatives are the bad guys. Uh, But at the end of the day, these are all of the opposition parties that want answers. And it was it was Jagmeet Singh that came out uh, earlier today and said, I'm not calling the election. It's the prime minister that wants the election, not me. So, uh, again, he's in a very precarious position, depending on how he balances all of this. But, uh, you know, there is a lot of political brinksmanship going on here. But at the end of the day, uh, I I don't think the, the, the word election came from the prime minister, not from the opposition. 
well, it came from somebody's mouth into the prime minister's ear, and I'd love to know who that was. And uh, I could always. But it's the prime minister that, that said the election word, not the opposition. He's oh, the no, one I that started this that. conversation. I understand that, but you also have to know that you know likely he goes to his uh, trusted advisors, sure, oh, yeah. in the government or not in the government, hint hint, and you know give give them this idea, and they go, okay, well, why don't we try this? So, you know, the audacity of it is huge. And and there's just a couple other points I want to make. Number one, you know, I don't even think the conservatives and MPs want this election to be called, because remember where we are right now in the election cycle. If you're a two term uh, MP, you need to complete, what is it, six years and then your pension kicks in. So does anybody not want their pension who's a sitting MP? That's something Mm -hmm. to think about. The other thing about Jagmeet Singh is that this is, I have to say, you know, I'm not a huge fan of his politically, but I have to say he's doing exactly what Jack Layton did when he, the late Jack Layton did when, you know, he was in the opposition and in a minority government position and really leveraged the frailties of the uh, the ruling party in order for his own political gain. And because he was so adept at doing that, this is back in the early 2000s, because he was mm-hmm. so adept at doing that, remember there was a huge wave of NDP seats, especially in Quebec, that had appeared. And so I think that Jagmeet Singh is really ripping a page out of uh, Jack Layton's uh, playbook and is actually playing it quite well. If there's any party that I think is doing the best in the opposition right now, as far as the leader is concerned, I think Jagmeet, Jagmeet Singh is doing a great job. Alyssa Freeman been with us. Alyssa PR, AlyssaFreeman.com to find out more. As always, Alyssa, thanks so much for the time. Be well. And you too, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. We, you certainly know the uh, story of the two Michaels, Michael Spavier, uh, Michael Spaver rather, and Michael Kovrig, who have been held in China now for over 700 days. Uh, they, of course, captured after uh, the Huawei CFO was held on a U.S. extradition warrant, which is still before the courts at this point. Uh, and something uh, interesting uh, happened uh, yesterday at uh, the U.N. Security Council meeting. A group of Michael Kovrig's colleagues appeal to China for his release. To talk more about all of this, Elliot Tepper is with us, Emeritus Professor of Political Science, Carleton University, and with us now. Elliot, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Oh, thank you. Uh, things are fine here. We're hunkering down, uh, trying to... Uh outweigh the, uh, I think, the pandemic and the winter, which is looming. (laughs) (laughs) And they will both be probably as long. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to seem very long, but I I hope everybody is uh, doing the right thing. We're a red zone here in Ottawa again, so we have to be... I hear you. Hunker down there, Elliot. So your thoughts on where we are with the two Michaels, and how significant is this group of Michael Kovrig's colleagues appealing to China in front of the U.N. Security Council? Well, of course, it, they didn't go as a group in order to do that. There was a special session on uh, the security situation in the Gulf region, and that's worth talking about by itself. Uh, but one of the people uh, appearing to testify there is the head of something called the International Crisis Group, and uh, Michael Kovrig was an employee of that group on leave for, uh, as a diplomat for Canada. So he was our diplomat, but on leave to them. He gave his testimony on the subject matter and then said, but while I'm here, I have to say that what our employee was doing was that what we do, the crisis group does, we want to de-escalate tensions and be mediators, and that's all he was doing, and he should not have been arrested, basically, is what he was saying. And then uh, the German ambassador to the Security Council, to the United Nations, said, we agree. Uh, he's, he's a colleague as well. We're diplomats. He's a diplomat. And then the, uh, the U.K. acting ambassador to the uh, U.N. also said, yes, we agree with that. So they didn't go as a group, but the fact that they raised it uh, individually at the forum of the U.N. Security Council in front of the Chinese foreign minister who was sitting there uh, it was, is, is worth noting. So what would the reaction have been from China? Oh, China uh, has the same reaction, well, more or less the same reaction every time. Uh, outsiders should not be commenting on internal matters affecting Chinese security. These people were arrested having nothing whatsoever to do with Meng Wanzhou, uh, but only because they were a threat to, as they put it, a threat to Chinese security, and that's why they were arrested. 
meanwhile, our, of course, our our prime minister just a short few days ago said this is this is hostage diplomacy, coercive diplomacy. And the defense minister, our defense minister, said it's you know this is coercive diplomacy, hostage diplomacy. You and I talked about that. That's that's definitely in diplomatic language a big escalation for Canada. But meanwhile, as you pointed out, uh, our two hostages and they are hostages languish in jail. Uh, you, you said obviously uh, Chinese are saying uh, Chinese officials are saying don't get involved in our politics. That yet that being said, after an article, an editorial was written by uh, I believe it was uh, the Sun newspaper chain. They were uh, they were complaining that that Canadians were off base in allowing these sorts of things to be printed. So aren't they interfering in our free media, our free press? Uh, they can point that out if they wish, but the Chinese uh, go further and say, you know what else is only our business and none of your business? Hong Kong. And yeah. this became an issue because uh, they say, look, Hong Kong's you know, ours. It's a Chinese city. You shouldn't be interfering. So Canada should not be taking in refugees fleeing the crackdown that right. China has now imposed on, on Hong Kong. So, and uh, that's wrong. You shouldn't be doing that. And uh, then saying very obliquely, um, you know there are 300,000 Canadians passport holders in uh, Hong Kong we wouldn't let anything bad happen to them would we? Their health and security might be uh, something to keep in mind when you start taking in refugees from Hong Kong something we don't like and our our Deputy Prime Minister uh, who said hey remember I served as a journalist covering the Soviet Union I understand these tactics and we are not going to be kept quiet. We're not going to be told uh, we can't take in refugees. Uh, and we stand up for freedom wherever it is. And Canadians are Canadians wherever they may be, including in Hong Kong and also in you know Chinese jails. So this is a, a this is a an escalation of rhetoric, and also a demonstration of Canada's ability to rally a multilateral or at least an international um, recognition of Canadian. The Canadian case, when you see it at the UN like this, and there's other uh, examples emerging now, and Canada's actually working on a strategy of how do, you, how do we deal with China going forward? But the bottom line is they've got our hostages. They will not release our people until Meng Wanzhou is released, and Meng Wanzhou is in our court system, and that's, that's where we are today. Uh, at least it appears as if China is now getting a bit more clearer picture of how Canadians feel about their actions. Um, we remember earlier, I think it was last week, there was some movement and there was consular service granted to the two Michaels. Yes. Is there any reason to believe there's some movement there? Um, that consular uh, access is uh, something that the, the two Michaels were uh, absolutely entitled to and were being denied under the pretext that this was a COVID measure, that the normal, normal consular services had to be suspended, says China, because of COVID. But, of course, this is done virtually, so you don't have to, there, is no, there is no situation there where there's a COVID issue. The, um, we just had the 50th anniversary of diplomatic relations just a few weeks, I guess a week or so ago, between China, that is the People's Republic of China, under the control of the Communist Party of China and Canada, where we broke relations with the country, with uh, Taiwan, which we had recognized until then as the government of China. They lost that civil war in Taiwan. So this, this brings up to a, a number of other issues. One of them is, as our relationship with China goes down, one way to deal with it is to see to it that our relationship with Taiwan goes up. We know that China wants Meng Wanzhou. That's something they really, really want. They also really, really want to isolate Taiwan. So that gives us a lover to say, okay, you mess with us on one end, and we are going to do the right thing, the correct thing anyway, which is deal with democratic uh, Taiwan in a more uh, elevated fashion. And I think that is happening, and it's likely to increase, and it should.
Is China reacting to the pressure from around the world? Again, these are discussions that probably weren't being had six months ago. Now, and I remember asking you questions about this, and in your answer or other political science professors' answers where, you know, China just doesn't care what's going on. They, they just do their own thing. It certainly does appear uh, that they have uh, got this message. Does this change their tactics in any way, especially as allies start to talk more about this? And <laughs> for a great example, at the UN. At the UN, which does whatever one may say about the UN, it is the high table of international diplomacy. And this is a spotlight in a place where there was no spotlight before. Do they really care? What we do know is that China has staked out a position uh, very clearly unambiguously saying uh, we have a we're going to be by 2050 we have a plan to become the world's foremost country and we have uh, ways to get there that's our goal we have a plan on how we're going to do it and they have a belt and road initiative a four trillion dollar initiative basically to tie countries uh, to china and they're saying the u.s doesn't want to lead we are quite willing to lead we are now going to step forward to lead and just as they're doing that and we have public opinion polling on this from around the world, more and more countries are saying, now that we've seen, among other things, how you're treating Canada, now that we understand more about you, we are less and less willing to follow your lead. So will they ever pay a cost for this? That reputational cost um, is not a meaningful meaningful cost in terms of, you know, does it costing them dollars and cents. But their global claim to be a respected global leader, you know, we are ready for the big time now. We're ready to be uh, the superpower in the world, replacing the declining America. And it's, they don't say this out loud, and they're decadent democracy. We have an alternative to democracy. We can have success without democracy. Others should emulate our model, and we're really ready to demonstrate it. And now we see around the world that since the arrest of the two Michaels, and with a lot of help from Canada to make this a multilateral issue, or at least globally recognized as an issue, uh, that uh, more and more countries are coming into focus, at least in their populations, which in turn will affect democratic governments, saying, if that's how China is, we're not so, so sure we, we want to follow them. You were talking and made reference to uh, the 300,000 Canadians that are in Hong Kong. Where does this leave them? How safe are they there? Well, that's, that's the implied threat. Uh, and we reacted immediately. China, by the way, came back and said, no, no, you misunderstood what, what, uh, what our guy was saying. No, no, we're, we're not threatening them, but it certainly sounded like a threat. It's kind of like, you know, you've got a nice little country there. We're too bad if anything happened to it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what it reminds me of. <laughs> and so I think the, um, the wolf warrior, this is a term that's come into use, the wolf warrior behavior under Xi Jinping. Remember, uh, there was this period of, of consolidation under, under Chairman Mao when they first got there, uh, they, when they first took power in 1949, and then he was put up on the shelf as a figurehead, and Zhou Enlai and others took over and said, we have to create a stable, modernizing country. And then Chairman Mao jumped off the shelf and shook everything up, and great proletarian cultural revolution basically destroyed the country internally for a whole decade, then Deng Xiaoping came to power, and he said, you know, we don't, uh, it doesn't matter what color the cat is, uh, what matters is whether the cat can t- catch mice. That it, red ideology, communist ideology isn't what we're after, we're after developing, uh, developing our country. And he opened up China to the world, a whole different, peaceable rise was his slogan. And then Xi Jinping came to power after an interregnum of, collective leadership and said, I'm done with collective leadership and I'm done with being a meek, mild power. Uh, we, are, we are no longer a, a gently rising power, no threat to anybody. We plan to, you know, we plan to be the central power in the world. And we're not going to be nice about it. Wolf Warrior uh, is actually a, a, a movie series in China. Uh, it's really a Rambo thing. So they've got a, an elite group there that takes on the world and takes on a Westerner. Uh, and defeats this ugly Western villain eventually. So it's a Rambo image that he's applying to himself and, and, and his behavior around. There are 28 countries now have bilateral disputes with China. Uh, just about every place around China now is in some kind of dispute with China, including in the South China Sea, the East China Sea, and very, um, in a very scary way, the India-China uh, border. 
And so there's, they are asserting themselves in a very aggressive way. And part of that behavior is, well, we'll just, we'll just um, do two things. We'll lock up people. We will get our way. You lock up our, uh, our chief operating officer of one of our, our champion industries, and we're going to uh, retaliate, which they've done against us. But there's also cyber security they, they, and influence operations. So what looked like harmless and friendly cooperative behavior through these things called Confucius Institutes, everybody's reevaluating those now. What are they really up to? So as an as a international actor, behaving in ways which Canada is now very concerned about in terms of the, how they're behaving internally inside Canada, and also in hacking, you know, whatever happened to Nortel. So China is now coming into focus in a way, just at the point they want to say, look what great leaders we can be. And now a lot of people are saying, yeah, we're, we're looking, and we don't like what we see. All right, let's uh, let's uh, we we haven't heard a lot about China in uh, of late in regard to the COVID nineteen pandemic. We all know that this is where very much like SARS, this is exactly where uh, uh, the virus originated from. Uh, we haven't heard we haven't talked much about the origin of it or or whether it came from that uh, food market in Wuhan or, or what have you. But it, it certainly does parallel uh, the the SARS pandemic. Where is China with this pandemic? Sure. Do they owe the world something on this? Considering this has brought the world to a standstill, do they not owe the world, whether it's an apology, whether it's a solution, what have you? But wouldn't this go an awful long way to improving China's image if they all of a sudden said, hey, you know, we're sorry about this and we're going to help everybody? I mean, why are they not trying to sell that instead of, you know, the, you know, the, the gavel kind of, you know, down comes the hammer kind of China, the old, the old school? Yes. A quick word before we move on. In terms of hostage diplomacy, remember, we also have others there. Hussein Shalil is a, a Uyghur mm. activist and a Canadian as well as Chinese citizen. He was put in jail for life in 2006 on, on trumped up charges, apparently. So we have we have a broader range of issues than the two names that come up, and, and it affects also, therefore, our attitudes toward the, the Uyghur population as well as Hong Kong and so forth. So in terms of the COVID, what we have is an insistence, quite successfully apparently so far, that China has um, – they're imposing their narrative, and the, and the U.S. is trying to impose a different narrative, and so far it looks like China is winning that narrative battle. They're saying we did everything right. Uh, we are. We went out of our way not only to deal with it at home, but we immediately told the world, and we sent supplies around the world. It turns out a lot of them were defective, but we've come to the world's aid, and we are totally transparent. We released the genome uh, once we unraveled it. We so that the world we did that free, and now there's suspicions they're hacking into the agencies around the world that are working in that genome. But the point is, they have put out a a seamless narrative that they are selling to the world and to, certainly to their own population. And the United States has a counter-narrative, but given the, the um, how can we gently put it, the nature of, of how, that, uh, how the Trump administration deals with narratives, uh, right. it looks like China is telling the world, and at the moment more or less getting away with it compared to the U.S. narrative. Do they owe the world an apology? Um, certainly I think it's well worth it looking at this WHO relationship later and uh, how China handled it. How they're handling it at home, by the way, is that uh, they are using their surveillance technology, which is extraordinary. There's a billion point field, you know, 1.4 billion people they are managing, uh, including the Uyghurs, a million of them. Uh, they had to download the app. Yeah, well, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And they are saying, look how efficient our kind of government is. But they have apparently, apparently achieved great success in managing inside the country uh, that pandemic. So that Wuhan itself is now apparently quite an open city, people going to restaurants. And, um, and life is inside China apparently is pretty normal because of the way they've handled it. And they are now saying, look, look how good we are at handling our crisis. We'll be glad to help out uh, the rest of the world. It's too bad the rest of the world isn't as good as we are about this. So that's, in a nutshell, where they are on that. 
Do you not think they should use this more, though, to 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 sell it? You know, we're going to save you now, even though it started there. We're going to save you now. We're going to to help you in any way I can. Or is it is is the other image of hey, we're just doing it better than everybody else? Are they getting more mileage out of that? Yes, they are. They they are. They've gone to Africa, for example. Remember, they're on a. I'll, I'll put this in, in a, a phrase that you can use in two ways. They're on an influence operation around the world. Yeah. Uh, one is we are a rising power, and we are going to use our influence to uh, to tie others to us, and that's in a way that we have not been paying much attention to in Africa. Certainly, this whole Belt and Road Initiative, which crosses all across Europe and and uh, much of uh, much of Asia, but uh, and also in Latin America. In fact, right in somebody was raising this with me in Barbados, so right in America's backyard, uh, they are using their their uh, growing power, including in COVID. They, they go to Africa and say, we're here to help. And so they are trying to capitalize on, on that ability to mass-produce material. And also, incidentally, when we wanted material, PPP, where did we have to go? We had to go to China. So one impact of COVID will be that more and more countries say, we don't want to have to rely on China anymore uh, for anything, and certainly not for essential equipment uh, regarding the, the pandemic. The other influence operation, however, of course, is, is, is covert and, and uh, uh, negative, and that is the influence operations to turn public opinion uh, toward China and away from the U.S., and basically to, um, to use the tools of uh, modern influence operations, uh, uh, which includes hacking, among other things, to, mm. um, to undermine demo- the nature of democracies around the world, we're told, and also to... Uh, benefit financially this there's a lot of commercial espionage involved in this so they are involved in a double-pronged influence operation globally and they're they're doing very well in in terms of um the covid crisis escaping the blame for it and trying to claim some credit for helping elliot tepper has been with us emeritus professor of political science carlton university elliot always a pleasure thanks so much for the time much appreciated be well and yes and uh be well, everybody. We're in a red zone in Ottawa, as I said, and uh, good luck to good luck to all who are listening. Elliot, you take care. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to three on nine hundred CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast, or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.